And I always wanted to get my Hot Wheels and build bridges with these wooden blocks and run those Hot Wheels over it. That was just always fun. And, and bridges that I've seen in life, I just find a lot of beauty in them. In fact, I, I've got some pictures for you this morning. I want you to look at these and just be amazed at this. Yes, this one, isn't that cool with the water? That one's in uh, Seoul, South Korea. Brooklyn Bridge, one of the few pictures here that I've actually seen that bridge. This one, I believe, is in China somewhere. The Indiana Jones Bridge, as I like to call it. I've seen a few of those. Golden Gate Bridge, the other one I've seen. Beautiful. Yeah, this one. How would you like to walk across this one? This one's in Singapore. Southern France. I don't know where it is. It's just pretty. And it's amazing how they can do that with those stones. This one's in Florence. How'd you like to live there? Venice, of course. I've never been. My wife has. (laughs) Beautiful, amazing structures. And, of course, the Tower Bridge in London. So different. Each bridge is so unique and so different and so beautiful. And I'm not an engineer or an architect, but I can tell you it takes a lot of work to build something like that. It takes a whole lot of thought and ingenuity and a large team of people to even come up with the idea before you then construct it over water or over a a large area of land. And to build that is not an easy thing to do. But it's an important thing to do because it brings two worlds together. Without a bridge, I might get stuck somewhere. And that bridge helps me get from here to there. So I love the concept of bridge building. That's going to be our metaphor this morning because that's becoming a metaphor for my life. It's building bridges. We're going to read again from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a little longer passage right now, beginning in verse 11. And I'd like to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. 
We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Let's pray together. Father, I pray this morning that your word would speak to us, that your word would challenge us to be people of reconciliation, to be people of peace, to be people of hope in our relationship with you and in our relationship with others. Father, I pray that you would bless me to speak your truth, your word, powerfully, honestly, and passionately. I pray for all of us that we would hear the message of reconciliation and be drawn to you and be moved to act in whatever way we need to act this morning to be more like Christ. Bless this time. And we pray this in the name and by the power of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. So the word reconciliation, it's a big word. It's a powerful word. And it denotes a lot of things, this idea of mending relationships the idea of peace, the idea of total renewal. And there's always, always the renewal of friendship and relationship when reconciliation takes place. There is the canceling of wrongs. And it's an important message for us this morning and for the rest of our lives to be people of reconciliation. Paul would know this idea and this concept of reconciliation better probably than anyone. After all, he was one who persecuted Christians. He was one who persecuted those who believed in Jesus and, and to think that he could have this transformation if you knew him as Saul would be almost impossible. But yet he had his Damascus Road experience, the original Damascus Road experience in which he sees this vision of Jesus, and he receives an ambassador in Ananias that God uses to bring Saul to become Paul and to learn and to understand and live this message of reconciliation. So I want to share with you a few observations from this passage this morning. First of all, Paul is imploring them to seek peace with God. Overall, the big picture of this passage is to be reconciled to God. Paul is God's ambassador of reconciliation, but shouldn't it really be the other way around? I mean, think about it. When someone wrongs you, how do you act? Do you go to them and say, you wronged me, but I'm going to make this right? That's not the way it usually works. In our house, we have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. When the four-year-old bugs the seven-year-old to the point that she wrongs her, it's not our seven-year-old saying, I'm going to make things okay with you. It's usually the four-year-old being told, go apologize to your sister, and she'll go and say, I'm sorry. Although the other day, 
she told Allison that she did something to, to Mor- that Madeline did something to Morgan, and she was crying. And Allison said, what's wrong? She said, Morgan didn't forgive me. Although I think she did, so. But that's the way it usually works in life. If I wrong you, then it's my responsibility to come to you and make things right, right? Or if somebody wrongs me, it's their responsibility to come to me and make things right. That's the way it usually takes place. But that's not the way it works with God. God is the one here who has been wronged by our sin, by our transgression. But he's the one who initiates reconciliation by sending his son. And then Jesus carries out reconciliation and makes that possible. So we get to be ambassadors to tell people, and Paul's an ambassador here, to tell people that you can be right with God because God's already done the work. That is amazing that God would think and act that way that's so contradictory to our way of life, to the way that we live. And then in verse 14, one of my favorite phrases, for Christ's love compels us. We're motivated by this love that we see in Jesus that he would carry out this work of reconciliation on the cross. We're changed by the cross. And the world is different because of Jesus, and we see it differently now, but it doesn't always look that way. And sometimes it's hard for us to see it. And I'm reminded of that recently, especially this weekend, as I wake up to news of horrible things that happened in the movie theater in Colorado. And when I turn on the sports news, all I hear is about the horrible things that have taken place at Penn State University. And it's a reminder that we still live in a broken world in need of that reconciliation. But God has already acted, and he's continuing to act in that. And we have to take hope in that. We have to live in the truth that Jesus has changed the world, and we have to see it differently, and we have to offer that hope to others. See, God, through Jesus, built the bridge to himself. And now he's building and rebuilding bridges among us. And the ministry of reconciliation is that all can be at peace with God. Everyone has access to God through Jesus Christ. What a wonderful message that we get to proclaim with our lives and our words every day. There's a a friend that I think of when I think of Paul here who learned what it was to be at peace with God. His name's Jason. He was a football player in Arlington. While I was a, a youth minister over in Arlington, I got the opportunity to be a chaplain for an athletic program there. And, and over the time I was there, I was there for about five or six years, where I'd be in the locker room with the football team, where uh, the volleyball team went through a difficult uh, time. And I, I sat with that team and those coaches, um, got to meet a lot of different people. And Jason was one that I just kind of connected with, and he was a good kid for the most part, but things at home were kind of falling apart, and he had a tendency to make bad decisions. He had a tendency to really get on himself about football and everything else, and just he didn't have that peace in his life. And he would come to our team chapels that we would have, and every week he would sit there and he would listen, but he would leave, and we wouldn't really talk about it although he and I would spend some time together and talk about these life situations. Well, about a year after I moved here to Allen, I'm sitting in an elders meeting, elder staff meeting one Wednesday night, and my phone rings, and it's Jason. 
And I'm thinking something's got to be wrong here. So I get up and excuse myself from the meeting, and I go out and I take the phone call. And I said, hey, Jason, what's wrong? You know, is everything okay? He's like, Greg, things haven't been better. He had gone to a school to play football, and there was a chaplain there that he met. And he started spending time with that chaplain. And in this phone call, he said, I just wanted you to know that I gave my life to Christ tonight. And I've never been more at peace with anything. This change led him to go into ministry. So when he finished his football career, he went into ministry to college students and especially athletes on college campuses. And that's what he's doing right now. And God is blessing that, his own, uh, maybe not as dramatic as Paul's transformation was, but his own transformation in his life. And it started, he would tell you, by finding peace with God. And all of us have access to that peace. And all of us are responsible to share that message of peace. But once we understand that we have this access to God, this bridge to God, we also have to know that we have a responsibility to seek peace with others. The Bible talks about it. I mean, think about it in 1 John. How can you love God but hate your brother? Or in Matthew, when Jesus talks about going to someone that you're in conflict with and making things right, and if they won't listen, you take somebody else with you. Take an elder with you. Take someone who can help bridge that gap and begin this process of healing this relationship, of restoring this relationship. It's all throughout Scripture, this message of living at peace with one another. And it's our job to take that step. When I was at, in Arlington, our preacher decided he was going to do a, a series on forgiveness. And about two weeks in, we're sitting in staff meeting, and someone shares a conversation they had had with a woman who had been a member of that church for 42 years. And I remember exactly where she sat in the back of the auditorium over here. And this person in staff meeting went on to tell the story about talking with this woman and how she had been touched by this challenge to forgive. Because you see, there was a lady that sat on the other side of the room who she had been friends with, very close friends with. Something happened between them, and one day they decided not to talk. And that went on a little while longer. And 30 years later, she was sitting in the same room every Sunday with that person that used to be her friend but was her sister in Christ still. And she would sit over here. And her former friend would sit over here. And they wouldn't even speak to each other for 30 years. Can you imagine being in here this morning and someone that's a friend of yours right now doing something to you or, or maybe you doing something to them that causes you not to speak? And for the next 30 years, you come to this building every week and you sit here and they sit there and you never speak to each other. How sad is that? I hate hearing stories like that. But this woman was called to move and to act. So she started to, and through a, a long process of forgiveness and reconciliation, these two began to speak again and began to treat each other like sisters in Christ again. And I see God working out in the world too, not only in the church, but out in the world Back at that high school 
where I was the chaplain. The first year I came in, there was a woman named Jackie who was one of the athletic trainers. Really, really nice woman. She was going through a divorce at the time, had two small girls. And so thinking back to that, now that I have girls of my own, really um, makes me feel for she and her husband at that time. And I got the opportunity to pray with her some and to listen to her and to hear and see the pain that she was struggling with as this relationship dissipated. Eventually they got the divorce and a couple of years later she moved away. Well then, about my fourth year there, probably two years after this divorce had taken place, she came back to that school and I saw her early in the school year and said, Jackie, you're back, you know, glad to have you back. And she told me where she had been and everything and she said, but I've got to tell you the best news. She said, Mike and I are trying to repair our marriage. We're trying to get back together. So we started praying about that. I had our church staff praying about that. And over the course of the next year to 15 months, this couple came back together. And they were remarried and brought their family back together. And I could see the joy. And I finally met her husband. And I could see how hard he was trying and how hard she was trying. Because reconciliation was worth the effort for them. And I understand that doesn't happen most of the time in relationships that dissolve. But we're called to be people who seek reconciliation, who seek to be at peace with others every opportunity that we can. My biggest regret in youth ministry has to do with a girl that was in our youth group in, in Arlington. She uh, when I, when I started youth ministry, she was in the youngest group. She had just come into to the middle school group. She was seventh grade. She was the smallest one in the group. She acted kind of immature. She would come into Wednesday night Bible class after downing sugar packets. I don't understand that. But um, people kind of had a hard time being around her sometimes. But she was sweet. And Allison and I just fell in love with her. And over the course of time, she had a difficult time fitting in, especially at school. And had a few friends at church, but that didn't always work out well. And she just had struggles in these relationships at times. And so I kind of babied her in the way that I treated her. Um, I kind of stuck up for her, bought into the victim mentality that she gave off at times. And so she got to be a senior in high school, and, and she had a really good senior year. And that was about the time Allison and I made the decision to come to Greenville Oaks and and as we were leaving, um, a couple of things had happened where I had had to have a couple of difficult conversations with her about some choices she had made. And then one, one night, I'm looking on Facebook, and she posts something on Facebook about uh, an activity that she and another girl in the youth group um, were going to do that weekend, which I didn't think was appropriate. I was very close to this girl, both of these girls and their families. And instead of doing what I should have done and going to them, I happened to kind of run into their parents first. So I told their parents, talked with their parents first. And if I had it to do over again, I would go back and I would go straight to them and talk to them first. Either way, we were just trying to, I was trying to help them make a better decision because I could see the potential for, um, for harm for both of these girls. She didn't like that too much. And before I knew it, on Facebook, she was saying things about me 
not using my name, but I, I knew where they were directed. She was saying things about me, um, and even to an extent about Allison, that were hurtful and difficult, especially considering that this was a girl who, at one point in time, we were at camp, and she had a really bad asthma attack, and I had to carry her to the car so we could take her to the hospital. And this was difficult. And after that, she wouldn't speak to me anymore. So we went a few years without speaking. And then last year, I was at camp. And we talked about freedom in Christ and the freedom that comes through forgiveness. And I realized that I hadn't fully forgiven her yet. But I had never sought her forgiveness for my part in that situation. So I tried to get in touch with her parents, and that didn't really work. I tried different through friends in different ways. And so what I ended up doing was was writing a letter to her and sending it to her um, online, apologizing for my mistakes, asking for her forgiveness, owning up to, to my part in the situation, and telling her that our family wants a relationship with her again. And you know what happened? Nothing. I've never heard from her. No response through a friend, through parents, through Facebook, through email, through text, nothing. But you know what? It's okay. Because I've forgiven her. I've forgiven myself. And I've taken the steps that I needed to take to repair the relationship. It's on her now. That doesn't mean I won't try again in the future. But sometimes these acts of reconciliation don't work out the way we intend for them to, don't work out the way we pictured them. But that's okay because we trust that God is still at work bringing renewal in the lives of all. I can only be responsible for me But we must do everything in our power to make the relationship with right, to make the relationship right because of our love for Jesus and our love for others. So we have a bridge to God, we have a bridge to others, and then we have this ministry of reconciliation where we share this message that you can be right with God and right with one another because of Jesus Christ. And we get to be ones who encourage bridge building among those who are not right with God or each other. When we do, our relationships with God and others will be examined. They'll be tested. A couple more stories for you. The camps we go to at at ACU, uh, they hire college students as counselors. And Will was a college student. And this group of middle schoolers came in one week for camp, and, and Will had Matt on his hall. Didn't know Matt at all. Never met him before. And over the course of the week, found out that Matt didn't have a relationship with his mom. At 13 years old, he hadn't spoken to his mom in three or four years. Can you imagine being a 13-year-old kid and not talking to your mom for three or four years? Because of some situations, because of some family struggles, and his mom had hurt him, and he didn't speak to her. Well, interestingly, Will had had a similar experience, and he hadn't talked to his mom in quite a while either. So Will was wanting more than anything for Matt 
to reach out to his mom, but he couldn't quite get to that place. And so they had a great week at camp, and they get to the pizza party on the last night, and, and everything's going well. They're eating pizza, and Will just decides, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge Matt. So he pulls him aside, and he talks to him about the need to go and talk to his mom. Just call her, he says. And Matt looks back at Will and says, okay, I'll call my mom if you'll call your mom. That's not what Will was expecting. So the next morning, all the campers left. Matt went back to, or, yeah, Matt went back to Houston. Will met with the other counselors before their 24-hour break, and he shared that story with the counselors, and someone said, so what are you going to do? He said, I don't know. Because you see, it's easy to tell somebody else. It's hard for you to be the one to go and do it sometimes. So within a couple of days, Will decided to make that phone call. And they had a little reunion, and it was nice. And it didn't really lead to anything major, any major changes in their family structure or anything. But he did it. And it helped him move past the situation with his mom. And then he got in touch with Matt, and he said, I called my mom. It's time for you to call your mom. So Matt did, and his story was different. Because Matt's phone call to his mom eventually led their family, even though his parents didn't remarry, it led to their family coming back together and being able to live at peace with one another and share life as a family again. This is important to me. This is really important to me. See, I have a dream about being able to serve and help people who are struggling in conflict with one another. To the point where right now I am in a master's program earning a, a master's degree in conflict resolution and reconciliation because I love relationships. I want to see people understand that God has done everything he possibly could to reach out to us and give us a relationship with him. And I want people to know that they can live at peace with each other. It's one thing to be a camp counselor and a camper, but it's another thing to have a relationship that's strained in your family, in a marriage, with a parent and child, with good friends. And I believe that life is too short to live not speaking to each other, to live in strained relationships. So we have to do everything we can to live at peace with one another because God has done that for us through Jesus Christ. And I believe that of all the groups, all the organizations, all the people, all the entities that are out in the world, that the church should lead the way in peacemaking within and without and throughout the world. So my charge to you this morning, one, if there's any place in your life, any place in your heart where you know you're not at peace with God, be reconciled to God. If that means being baptized this morning, take that step. This morning is just about taking next steps. That's all it is. If you have something on your heart and you need to confess, find someone who will listen. I'll listen to you. I'll walk with you through that. Find someone who will walk with you through that. The second, if this is you, you need to go and be reconciled to someone else. If you've wronged them or if they've wronged you, maybe you need to forgive 
or seek forgiveness. And I realize that can't happen, usually doesn't happen in one moment, one step. It takes many steps. It's a process. But take the first step and reach out and go to that person. Maybe it's somebody in this room. Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe you need to start by just praying about it. Don't use that as an excuse to not do something, but seriously pray about what to do and reach out to someone else to rebuild that bridge. If that's you, my challenge for you is this. Before the sun goes down today, take that one step, whatever it is, before the sun goes down today. And then the third, and this is for all of us, we are to be ministers of reconciliation, that we can have peace with God. That is a message that the world needs to hear, and we have to speak that and live that, to live at peace among others. If you know of someone today who is fighting and who's, who's being stubborn and they won't talk to each other, what can you do in a loving way to encourage reconciliation in them? That may be your role today. Whatever it is, I want to ask you to take that step and do it today. There's a place, a time that we spend each week where we're reminded of reconciliation, and reconciliation actually takes place there each week. It's in the Lord's Supper, communion. Think about the idea of communion, community, together. How can we share in communion if we're not right with one another? So this morning, we are going to take this meal together. I want to share a story with you as we go into this. Peter Story was a clergyman in South Africa during the imprisonment of Nelson Mandela, the time of apartheidist violence there. And he writes this story about something that takes place in the wee hours of the morning. He says, I once received a phone call in the early hours of the morning telling me that one of my black clergy in a very racist town 60 miles from Johannesburg had been arrested by the secret police. I got up and drove out there, picked up another minister, and then went looking for him. When we found the prison where he was and demanded to see him, we were accompanied by a large, white, racist guard to a little room where we we found Ike Moloabi sitting on a bench, wearing a sweatsuit, and looking quite terrified. He had been pulled out of bed in the small hours of a freezing winter morning and dragged off like that. I said to the guard, we are going to have communion. And I took out of my pocket a little chalice and a tiny little bottle of communion wine and some bread and a plastic bag. I spread my pocket handkerchief on the bench between us and made the table ready, and we began the liturgy. When it was time to give the invitation, I said to the guard, this table is open to all. So if you would like to share with us Please feel free to do so. This must have touched some place in his religious self because he took the line of least resistance and nodded rather curtly. I consecrated the bread and the wine and noticed that Ike was beginning to come to life a little. He could see what was happening here. Then I handed the bread and the cup to Ike because one always gives the sacrament first to the least of Christ's brothers or sisters, the ones who are hurting the most. 
and Ike ate and drank. Next must surely be the stranger in your midst. So I offer the bread and the cup to the guard. You don't need to know too much about South Africa to understand that white racists, what white racists felt about letting their lips touch a cup from which a black person had just drunk. The guard was in crisis. He would either have to overcome his prejudice or refuse the means of grace. After a long pause, he took the cup and sipped from it. And for the first time, I saw a glimmer of a smile on Ike's face. Then I took something of a liberty with the truth and said, in our worship, we always hold hands when we say the grace. And very stiffly, the guard reached out his hand and took Ike's. And there we were in a little circle, holding hands while I said the ancient words of benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. This morning, we come to a table of reconciliation, and we're reminded of God's act of reconciliation through Jesus Christ. And we eat the bread, and we drink the wine freely together, and we hold hands around this table, knowing that God is at work in the world today. Let's pray together.